Thanks for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. Other podcasts are available at brumradio.com. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventure. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. And we have made it You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello and welcome to this week's Geeky Brummy podcast. Uh, your usual Captain Ryan Parrish is taking a well-deserved break. So he's handed the reins over to myself and Philip for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to guide you through the world of Geeky Brummy, hopefully uh, with a steady tiller. So um, it's good to see both Guy and Phil here this week again. Uh, how are you this week, Phil? I'm good, thank you. I have been Mary Condoing. Um, so she shook. Marie Kondo is shook. I had a gigantic clear out in my flat. Six bin bags of rubbish went in the bins in my building. Another ten are sat in the boot of my car waiting to be do- donated. I don't know how it's possible to hoard so much junk in a flat where there are two rooms. I'm kind of jealous of your charity shop, though. They're going to get a load of good gear. Oh, there, there is some good stuff in there. It's just like either it doesn't fit me anymore or it's just like, you know, out of season or whatever. But it's like, yeah, they, they are going to be getting some proper good stuff. You'll have to tell me which charity shop you take it to because my boy's a, a skinny, uh, thin young man, much like yourself. So I can send him to go and get some. Uh... Sorry, I thought Phil was your son. <laughs> I mean... If, it's if, technically possible. If you want dibs, just like send them to like the parking lot of my building, and they can have a rifle from a boot. <laughs> I mean that that sounded. Uh... <laughs> wow. So what what's on offer them, Phil? Um, it's a couple of suits. There's a load of like uh, old kind of like Ralph shirts. Just lo- lots and lots of old like old shirts, which are still really really good. Just like. You know, don't suit me anymore. I'm, I, was tr- I was trying to follow the condo philosophy of like, does this thing spark joy? And I'm like, no. Every single thing I own would have to be like on fire for me to wear this again. So it's just yeah. But but there's some like, and, and there's a lot of like bootcut jeans. Oh, I don't realize. I don't, I don't know why I still have them because I, I I moved into my flat five years ago. Bootcut jeans weren't a thing five years ago. So somehow, even when I downsized five years ago, I still held on to these hideous trousers. You know, you've got the legs for them. You see, you've got drainpipe legs. I can't do skinny jeans because, for one, I can't get it over my foot or ankle. So I, ha- I have to go bootcut just to get it over my rather large feet. Um, I mean, I'm just a fat man, so I have to. Like, I put on a pair of jeans recently that were so tight at work. I had to go put water all over the jeans just so they'd stretch out a little bit. Wow! I know. You yeah, paint a picture. A low, a low point. <laughs> in particular. Doesn't that, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that have the opposite effect? Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't it make just make them like really like? really like sort of horrible and rubby and like difficult to get back on no it works that's they shrink that's because that's how you shrink I'm picturing them getting stuck on your calves (laughs) this has happened to me once before (laughs) I tried on a pair of super skinny jeans in TK Maxx and I was in the changing room for half an hour because I got stuck. <laughs> well, like Ross from Friends. I, basically, I, so I got them on and I was like, these look great. I was like, oh, but I can't quite do the zipper up. So I might, I'll, I might go and check out the next size. Got them down like over my knees and then they were just on my calves. I just could not. I was like a mermaid. Did my, you... my legs were fused together. I could not. I could barely stand up. I could just like pull them down. I kept like l- veering to one side. 
did, did you feel like you were going to have to get a shop assistant to come help you, like, walk out with trousers around your ankles, pretty much, like... I mean, luckily I was wearing clean underwear. You know how they say, always say, like, <laughs> wear, wear fresh underwear because you get hit by a bus. <coughs> wear fresh underwear just in case you have a changing room emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm feeling, though? Like, once he's listened to this podcast, Callan will be there first in line to get your clothes. I don't know why, but I feel like he'll be begging off your clothes. I mean, you know, How? if my cast-offs can be someone else's starting point to greatness, then... He's, he's so a little it. bit shorter. Although I'm, I'm kind of tempted to, to um, get me boy down and, and ride through. But especially for the suits, because he needs, he needs a bit of smart wear. Something it could, could be, it could be, I could be onto a winner here. Maybe I'll just have like a car boot sale, but like my car's the only one, <laughs> just like on my car park. I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm probably not zoned for that. It's probably illegal, <laughs> you know, the council won't be happy, but you know what? Like, watch this space, it's Keith. Watch this parking space. <laughs> will Keith get mates' rates? Obviously, <laughs> everyone in this room will get a 10% discount. May I, I'm 10% discount, I'm going to fit in anything you wear. Oh, I don't know, there are some 34 waist jeans. <laughs> Again, are you going to fit in anything you wear? Going to wear it as a coat. <laughs> yeah, wear it as a coat. <laughs> oh, there's some good coats there as well. Some really? nice, like, there's some nice Max, there's like a leather jacket, yeah. You need to tell our good friend Jenny Bob Taylor about that, she found some new, uh, new togs to uh, decorate. I'm just thinking Phil would be really well set to have his own range of clothing on QVC, the way he's just sold that to us. Oh my God, can you imagine? It would be like, have you ever seen that photo of like the meme of like the Mark Jacobs by Mark Jacobs by Mark for Mark Jacobs, like that label? It'd be the same, it would just be my name over and over again. Just Phil by Ellis, or Philip Ellis. <laughs> House of Philip John Emery Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What about you, Keith? What have you been up to? I love that Keith, yeah, come on Keith, get with the programme. You just pull his phone out halfway through <laughs> presenting and start looking at some stuff. It's, 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 it's related to the show. So I'm, I've got my notes on my phone because I've had to switch around computers. I was all prepared. The guys throw me out. Um, see, I, I, always, I always should go first in this because we should leave Phil to blast because Phil leads the most interesting life of any of us. Um, I, I stuffed some stuff in bin bags this week. It wasn't that exciting, Keith. <laughs> when, when I do that, it doesn't sound quite as exciting as, as how you do it. Um, mostly just kind of uh, milling around, thinking about clearing stuff out, but mostly just moving it in different piles around the room. So mm. there's certain piles that are getting bigger, others are getting smaller, but that's it's, they're not. It's not actually going anywhere. It's like a, a sort of junk ecosystem yeah like the it's just this weird like circular food chain where it just rotates around the room until it ends up back where it started and sometimes i think i'm in the fellowship of the ring trying to get from one side of the room to the other it's kind of like an epic journey to get across and you don't want to knock anything over because it would and, start and wrong. then you get this amazing sort of like weird interpretive dance because you only you can only sort of put your feet in certain parts of the floor so I, I became, and I mean, when I had a floor drove, I can now see the floor in my bedroom. But before that, I could walk. And I, there was like a, about two days when I didn't have a proper light bulb. So I, and there was like just the lamp at the end of the room. <laughs> so I'd have to walk through the room in darkness. And it would be like hop, skip, jump, swivel, and then like sidestep to the lamp. Oh, you totally like made, made a, a meal out of that, though, didn't you? Like, oh, made... there was like a flourish. It was like Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment. <laughs> I'm sure, his, I'm sure his camera phone went on a tripod on the opposite side of the room, just to capture it, just to be sure. Yeah, I, what I hate though is sometimes when I move things around and I'll go, I need something, where did I put it? 
and I can see it kind of at the bottom of a pile furthest away from me and it's like oh, and you know that really want to it? get that from the bottom of the pile it's going to create this Jenga effect yeah <laughs> you just go do I really need it mm, I'll just go and buy another one <laughs> Uh, which isn't good, but um, yeah. And the other thing I've been trying to figure out is how to deter wasps from nesting in my roof space because um, I've had a thing over the past few years where wasps particularly like our roof space. I don't know why, but they're back again. It's because they like you. No, he's sweet like I think, jam. <laughs> I think it's because our roof's got lots of holes uh, in it, and it's easy for them to get in. But I'm kind of thinking: Do I just wait it out and just let them do their thing and go away? Or do I kind of like get an exterminator in? Because last year they were making a, a, an awful noise in the in the wall. They were actually in the wall, Ooh. and uh, it was just you could all you could hear was this gnawing. And I was convinced at one point they were just going to come straight through the wall. This year I can't hear them, so I kind of kind of thinking I might just let them do it as long as they don't fly. Because it's right by the window, so if you start coming in the house, I'm not going to be too impressed. But I kind of want to let them. He's like, the, he's like Mr. Rogers, but for wasps. <laughs> so kindly to all God's creatures. Yeah, I don't deliberately want to exterminate them, really. I, I can avoid it. I mean, I prefer a bee. We all prefer a bee. We need to start being, like, chiller with the bees. Can we just, can I take a moment? Like, bees. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever go down the street and then you see, like, a bee on the floor and then you're like, oh, you know, I need to save this bee? Oh, yeah, I'll pick a bee up and put it so it doesn't get trodden on. You've never, Are you serious? You've never saved a bee? Well, I've never, like, killed a bee either. Yeah, but you've got to save a bee if you see a bee on the floor. Well, I've never seen a bee on the floor. Now I know what to do. Save it. Give uh, it a bit more life. I, I mean, I have to say that bees are incredibly dramatic. <laughs> I was listening to the podcast, for the School for Dumb Women podcast, and, um, and they were talking about how bees are super dramatic, especially in summer. They're like, if you touch me, I will kill myself. <laughs> it does not get much more over the top than that so I, I respect that about them I can see why Phil's not spotting them though because me and you are probably moping down the street going this is too warm and mm-hmm. got our heads down while Phil's kind of head up you know kick, kick, eye contact with everybody super confident and stuff so he's probably not he's probably not noticing the kind of the poor little bee that's kind of crawling around on the floor because it's a little bit cold in the morning he's, he's the person he's, he's accidentally stamped on the bee that we're saving <laughs> I don't think so. No comment. So, all right, Guy, what have you been up to this week? You know, I complain about things all the time. I really? noticed. Well, okay, so I went to a supermarket on we're a lunch not break. Brand not going to mention the brand name. Uh, I went to self-serve. I was served by somebody. But basically, Wait, I... Wait, you went to self-serve I... and then were served by somebody? <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. No, I went to self-serve and then it did that thing of like, oh, there's an issue with your bag. Which because is, these machines. This is why I know that like the robot apocalypse is never happening. Because if they can't figure out the difference between you know something being in the back of an area and thin air, exactly, we're, we're all right. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I had this issue, and anyways, kid, this kid comes up to me and goes, "What was the last thing you put in your bag?" And I was like, "Sorry, what?" He was like, "What was the last thing you put in your bag?" And I was like, "I, I don't know." And then he was like, "Oh, okay." And I was just sort of like, look, can we just hurry this along? I've got to, I've got to get back to the office. And then um, he's all like, oh, what's your problem? Looks sort of like giving it all this. And uh, anyways, woman comes over. She's really helpful, really nice. Um, 
And then I was just this kid like, you've got a bad attitude, I'm going to put a complaint in about you. Oh, like, I've, like, I've actually got, I still had time, so I'm going to make a complaint. So, so I went off and made a complaint, which he thought was funny when I was going to, when I said it. And it's kind of like, we, you've just made the mistake now, smirking about it. So this is happening. You don't have the chunky highlight of somebody who normally would ask to speak to the manager. Really? No, I was asked to speak to the manager. Oh, you need to get a more severe bob on that haircut then. <laughs> Consider changing your name to Karen. <laughs> yes, the Karen is always a, a complainer. So I, I made the complaint to the manager about this guy on a sort of attitude problem. Wasn't happy. You know, not not good service. Next day I go in and I go to the I go to the till this time. It's actually like the you know the proper old school till. And uh, the woman who serves me is the woman who was assisting with the the fool. Um, anyway, she looks at my name tag for where I work and I'm like I clock her looking I'm like damn she's Ooh. she knows my name now and I'm then and then I slip into panic mode and paranoia on the way back to the office thinking what if she's told this guy about me like I'm quite easy to find on Facebook and I'm quite obvious looking you know guy long blonde hair you know beard that, that'll teach you to mess with someone's livelihood so what did I do to counteract this measure I changed my profile picture to just a shot of the ground I instantly took on Facebook to conceal <laughs> my identity for a few days. <laughs> because I was so worried that my complaint I'd made about bad customer service was going to come back and bite me. Are you more worried just the next time you go in that supermarket? Because that would be far easier. He's got, he's yeah. got a job at risk. He can't touch me in the supermarket, but outside of the supermarket, I'm on anybody's game. So yeah, you know where he works as well. So it's a bit of a closed circle. It's a cold war of, uh, of agri, agro. Yeah, but I'm going to get. I potentially going to get attacked first here, and I don't want to be the one to be attacked. I don't want to get punched because the self service machine was being a fool. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> it's a conundrum. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my week. I've been uh, been in, been incognito. <laughs> You've been going around in, in a big coat with a hood. <laughs> Ghost protocol. You could just cut your hair and shave your beard. That would be an easy way of disguising yourself. Yeah, probably. Oh my God, he'd look like he'd just come out of prison, wouldn't he? No, I'd look like Pauline Quirk. <laughs> Ergo, you're not going to get spotted. <laughs> just by people who don't like Pauline Quirk instead. So this week I've decided to uh, pick a couple of topics that are of interest to me at the moment. So I'm kind of theming this show around excess and outrage. And for the first part of the show, I kind of just wanted to have a little discussion uh, about excess. And is there too much film and TV out there for us all to consume? We're kind of inundated with multiple channels, digital downloads, streaming services, hundreds of different franchises. And are, are we facing an excess in film and television can we watch all of the things we want to watch and with that explosion of content are we getting a lower quality of content are we losing something in the fact that everybody's rushing to just make more and more stuff to fill all that time because um, I find it difficult to keep up with it with it all you know just having Netflix and a, and a, a kind of virgin media service but I still don't have time I've got stuff piling up on TiVo that I don't get to watch. So I don't know what you guys think about that kind of proliferation of ways of consuming content and the amount of content that's, that's out there. Oh, he's done his research. I feel like I'm on question time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm under pressure. Uh, no, I agree. 
<laughs> I agree. Well, okay, and I hardly agree with your points. End of segment, I guess. Um, no, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree as well. It's um, watching content, consuming content is basically a full time job at this point. I only really ever watch like one or two shows at a time now because I'm busy, and if I'm going to commit one hour of my time every week to watching something, I'm going to want it to be good. So I'm sick of people like recommending stuff to me and telling me to watch stuff. I'm never going to watch Breaking Bad. I'm you never watched Sharp watch Objects yet, Phil? Pardon? Have you watched Sharp Objects yet? Not yet. <laughs> I, re- I, I, I will be though. That is one That is one of the things that like I will be watching because it's HBO, it's Amy Adams and it's Gillian Flynn. So like, yes. But this is the thing. It's like, people are telling you to watch stuff. Oh, you have to watch this, you have to watch this. It's like, A, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> And B, it's like, I, I'm sorry, I have a life. I have maybe a few hours, you know, in the evening free, like, you know, per week. So it's just like, it's it's almost like I, I kind of get resentful of like, oh, there's all this stuff out there. Like, I'm either missing or that like, I feel I should be watching. But then like, when you sit down to watch it, you're like, if the first episode isn't great, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm over it. I'm not going to wait two seasons for it to get good. Um, and then when it comes to the whole like, uh, all this, you know, like, like you said, the pro- 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 proliferation of platforms. Say that ten times fast, I dare you. <laughs> it's like, how how much money do, would people ha- have to pay to have all of these things? You know, you've got Disney coming out with its own platform. You've got DC coming out with its own platform. You have Netflix, you have HBO Go, you have Amazon Prime, you have Hulu. Um, so it's like, you know, if you want to watch one show and it's only available on one service and you're going to be spending, what, like ten quid a month on that? It's just not practical. Mm. It's just, it's too much. So I think as well, for me, if you miss out on a season, or you slip behind a season, then you slip behind two seasons, and then you're really far behind. Like It's say, impossible to catch up, yeah. Say Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I started watching Series 1 and started to watch Series 2, then I lost track of it. Now I'm like five seasons, like almost three or four or five seasons behind. It's kind of like, well, I, might, I love that show and I want to keep watching it, but when am I going to find the time to sit there and want actually watch this. And I'm a, I'm a music lover. I want to spend my prime time in the evening listening to music. Exactly. Yeah. And then in the evening, I want to turn on my television at nine o'clock and then watch something. I also I have this thing now where I'm trying to read and like and write and and, and he's learning. Life. He's learning. <laughs> so it's like it's it's fun. A B. You read the letterland books. It's um. Roger Red Hat. It's it's just it's far too easy to turn the TV on and like end up losing like four or five hours in the evening, and at the end of it, you're like everything I watched was just garbage. Hmm. So I, I, I'm I'm trying to be much more selective. Like I'm uh, currently watching Pose, best thing I've seen in forever. The quality of it, like the acting, the writing, the budget on it, everything is absolutely fantastic, and it makes it it's it it makes a real marked difference because. I haven't seen anything in a while that like has been that good because it's just been sort of been watching you know junk just to fill the time. But how do, how did you find out about that show? Did you just kind of stumble across it, or it been recommended to you? It's like very much like in my Venn diagram of interests. So it's um, because it's about the trans and queer community in New York in the eighties in the drag ballroom scene. Um, it's like me and also a lot of people I know are very much like going into that. And where has that been screened? Um, so it's, um, being screened on FX. Okay. But yeah, it's like, it's very rare that I'll find a show where I, like, it, I am, I, I make a point of really, really wanting to, want to watch it, as opposed to like, oh, that's on, that'll do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think for, for me, TV's a bit like reading a book. It's like, I like to invest in it, and take my time, and kind of let it sink in. I don't like, I've not been, I'm not a big binge watcher. 
because I don't like to leap straight from one episode to the next to the next to the next because it doesn't you give become... me time to kind of let what's happened set, settle in and get me thinking about stuff and kind of uh, and working things out in my own head in terms of what they're trying to say and what the mood they're trying to get. So I kind of like to have, I, mean, I might do two episodes if, I, if I'm trying to keep up with stuff, but I do like to have that break between for it to sink in and kind of, and then I can come back to it kind of with like, okay, I'm really, in, really interested in what, what happens next. So I think when you binge, you kind of lose that. You just kind of get it all in one go. And it's like, you've not really, you've invested a lot of time in it, but I don't think you've invested in the storytelling and the performances and stuff as much. It's like you're, you become desensitized in yeah. a way. And it's all about like, right, well, what happens next? As opposed to like, oh, what does this mean for this character? Or, or what does it mean for the you know, for story as a whole? Because yeah, you're just sort of going from like twist to twist to twist. And you just want to know what happens next. And it's, it's very much like instant gratification. I just came a, a week or two ago, came to the end of a gigantic rewatch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine on Netflix. It was a hard, hard slog. Um, and it got to the point where I was, just, I was just having it on, just to have something on while I was cooking, while I was, you know, doing work or whatever. And I wouldn't even really be paying attention to it most of the time because it was just there. And because, like, like I was saying earlier, like, the first three seasons are roof. Um... And then I only started really paying attention once it sort of, you know, starts to get, like, st- stuff gets real as it goes on. But, yeah, it's like, there, there was, like, 25, 26 episodes in a season. And I think I, I burnt through all of it in maybe, like, a month or two. And it's like, that is, like, I, I, that is consuming, like, hours and hours of it every evening. But I couldn't really just, I couldn't tell you, like, my favourite moments from it because it all just sort of blurs together. Get a hobby. But it's interesting <laughs> that you've gone back to something that's kind of 20, 30 years old. Mm. Um, because now, how do people? It's, it's safer it? than trying to risk and deciding what's new yeah. to watch. So it's like I'm just going to go back and watch this thing. But it's seven years worth of stuff. We've got so much new stuff and stuff coming out with all the channels. And again, things are going to start leaping from place to place. I mean, you were talking about DC bringing its uh, online streaming services. So what does that mean for the the channels that are are already using oh, that like DC the, content? The CW, yeah, the CW stuff. And then when Disney start their own. How is that going to affect what happens with the Marvel stuff? All it's going to do is is to make the market, make people keep buying for just one show. You know, you're going to be paying seven ninety nine for Netflix, seventy odd pound a year for Amazon, but you're only going to be watching a very small amount of of content on there because it's you're never going to watch all of it. You're not going to have and and there's not enough on each channel. And I kind of miss sometimes I miss the days of having three or four channels and it's like you got what you want had every week. And you just wait for the next thing to come around, and everybody's watching it. I think, like what I was saying as well, like what Phil was saying, sorry, with the, um, you know, with characters as well. Like with binge, you don't really absorb. Uh, I think it was yourself who was saying it's not, bin- you don't binge enough. At, if you binge too much, you don't absorb the characters. I think, like when you watch a show, say, like say for example, I don't know, um, Peep Show. If you binge six episodes of Peep Show, then okay, you watch it in two hours. Okay, it was fun. You enjoyed it. But I'd rather spend six weeks looking forward to kind of spending half an hour in the company of Mark and Jeremy, like looking forward to that that time of watching that show and thinking, well, I've got another episode to look forward to. And then having that slight disappointment, like, oh, the series is finished now. But I've had that prolonged period of like six, seven weeks where I've, I've enjoyed watching that show. I've enjoyed watching characters I find funny. You know, just getting lost in that world for six odd weeks and then coming out of it again as opposed to I watch all that in two hours now I'm done what's next 
Mm. I don't find myself absorbed enough. Well, I um I had that experience um with the last season of Inside Number Nine. I watched the first couple just on iPlayer, like week by week as they came out, and then I I think I was away or I was busy with work. So the next the next time I checked, there were like four episodes lined up, and I watched them in an evening, and I enjoyed them massively, but. It's like because they were individual short stories with an entirely new cast and an entirely new, you know, theme. I kind of think, yeah, things like that, it does help if you're just watching it on its own rather than going into the next one where you've got the same actors playing different characters. Because, yeah, you want to sit with that story for a little while and let that sink in and think about that as opposed to just sort of burning through them all. Yeah, I think that's the key thing for me about any kind of story is just having that time to absorb it and acknowledge it and, and see how it affects you. And I kind of, it's easy with books and, and to some extent music, you can kind of take it in in your own time. But TV seems to be getting to the point where it's just push, push, push all the time. There's new stuff all the time. There's a new thing dropping on Netflix every other week. And I wonder whether you think it will continue on that very, very sharp rise that we are just going to become overwhelmed with with too many ways of, of having content and you've got all the stuff that you've already got already plus new things all the time. Will we ever get to a point where people are just going to be like, oh, I, can't, I can't watch anything because I just don't know where to start? There's, um, I was reading yesterday on, online, uh, Netflix have plans to drop 40-something original comedy specials on the same day next year. I'm sorry, is anyone going to sit and watch 40-something? Or it might be like 37, but 37 like hour-long specials. I mean, it's great for the comedians, it's great exposure for them. But I'm, I, haven't, I still haven't watched Nanette by Hannah Gadsby, which yeah. is like the latest Netflix comedy special that everyone's been raving about. I think if it's, if it's 37 artists who wouldn't normally get that kind of exposure, great, because it means that fans can go, I'm not interested in the Michael McIntyre's or the uh, Ricky Gervais, but there's this person that I'm really interested in. So I think exposure-wise, it's great. But again, it's like, how does anybody find it so like, all that? And also online, it's like when, it come, when something drops on Netflix, there's that pressure or that race to, like, watch everything in the first, like, day that it's out and then spoil it on Twitter for everyone else. Well, that's the other, that's the other bit danger, isn't it? If you don't watch it instantly, everybody's talking about it. Yeah. And there's no point. Do you know what I think is that... I think we've had the golden age of binge TV, like, all the big shows. Like you've had your Breaking Bad, you've had your Game of Thrones. You know, I think, like, they're slowly dropping off now, like, these essential shows that, like... You know, you've had this period of like five or six years where like every TV show has kind of been like, you've got to see this, you've got this is must see TV. And I think the stuff that's coming out is like a second rate version of some of these shows. So it's not as essential, like it's not essential to watch it anymore. It's not as kind of like crucial. And I think like it's going to get to a point where people are just like, oh yeah, it's just another, it's just another long winded drama. I, I disagree with the idea of anything being essential TV. I think Breaking Bad and The Wire were great if you're a straight white man and you have that, you know, inadequate power fantasy. Um, I'm never, like I say, I'm never going to watch them. I don't care about them. But like, there's other things that are essential to me. Like Pose for me is more essential than those other things because it's telling stories that have never been told before, and in a way where it's like it's trans writers and trans actors telling their stories themselves. I think feels right. This that's the one benefit of the proliferation and, and growth and excess of, of content is that there is more for everyone. Yeah, that that's the that's the that's the good thing is that there is a, there is a chance that there is going to be something out there that speaks to you and tells you the stories that you want to hear. Following on a little bit from the theme of excess, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about outrage in film and television. 
He's really um, done his research here. I mean, this is... I mean, Ryan, you've been put to shame I'm, here. I'm, Take note. I'm feeling very Radio 4 right now. <laughs> but, I know, I, I'm going to say, I'm feeling very NPR right now. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's a proper panel discussion. Because obviously being of a, a, a mature age, um, I can remember... Hitting your prime. Of, um, feeling, not outrage myself, but at the time uh, when John Waters was first doing things, and so he had uh, Pink Flamingos, which is notorious... Uh, for a particular scene where he gets divine uh, to do something very unpleasant with something she finds on the street, uh, and the things, the early films of David Lynch, which are kind of very trippy and very uh, weird and bizarre. Uh, and again, the, the idea of this proliferation of television and films. Do do people feel outrage in the same way? Because we had uh, Mary Whitehouse during her 70s and 80s, who was seen as this kind of uh, paragon of virtue who kind of complained about anything that was kind of like slightly uh, graphic or portrayed, you know, bizarre and unusual relationships and stuff. Uh, and there was always outroar if, if a certain character was portrayed in a certain way on television. And we've broken down some of those taboos over the years. But do, do people still feel, or is there stuff made that... that kind of tries to encourage people to feel outraged or feel challenged. And you have kind of directors like uh, Nicholas Winding Refn who kind of tries to do a little bit of that with his films. Me and Demon is a particular one where he pushes that and a little bit with Darren Aronofsky. Um, Directors who are kind of pushing boundaries. But it doesn't seem to have that big impact like everybody knew about Pink Flamingos. It was a big... Big news story. How dare this be portrayed on screen? But do we do we have those same kind of um, barriers now, or has society got to a point where it's like, well, you can't write outrageous now because like we're pretty um, savvy and we're kind of worldly wise, and you know we're not as blinkered as we were in the kind of sixties and seventies. So does outrage still feature as much in kind of media? I think that uh, what, what we were talking about in the um segment previously um, kind of applies to this it's I think it's when something like Pink Flamingos came out it was just at a time when there were far fewer films coming out full stop and so when you have you know new films coming out at the cinema every week and you have a new you know original film and new series dropping on Netflix like you know every couple of days um, I think just because the media landscape is so much more voluble and saturated that if a film is truly scandalous, it kind of just like, it might generate lots of headlines, but you might not see them all just because we're all talking about so much stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think when it comes to something like, you know, Mother, um, that that film. was so controversial and, and risque, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I'm also thinking about, um, there was another film, The House That Jack Built. Is this the Lars von Trier film? The Lars von Trier film, um, made its debut at the Cannes Film Festival this summer, and over 100 people walked out. And I I think it's rare that we still have films that provoke that visceral, physical reaction. And I think with The House of of Jack Bill, it's because um, it's been called Vomitive. Um, And it's, yeah, Vomitive and Provocative um, in its, its portrayal of violence. In particular, its portrayal of male violence against women. Um, because it was sort of seen to be like exploitative and over the top, but without any real need for it. It wasn't like a story that needed to be told. It was just Lars von Trier 
trying to be provocative, but yeah. ultimately... Isn't that what he's not, always done, though? But, like, yeah, but, like, not doing it in any kind of new or original or, or w- w- any way that served the story. Mm. The, the violence yeah. was the story. Because I think that's the problem with, with some, of, some of the kind of outrage. Sometimes you want it to happen, to draw attention to something that's worth kind of draw, put, putting a spotlight on, to kind of go, we do need to address this. But when it's kind of that kind of just to gain notoriety... It, was, it, it felt pure art, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I think... I'm trying to think of the last thing that I felt outraged by. And to be honest, I can't really think of anything that I was I was outraged by. There'd be things that I'm thinking, oh, it's a little bit unnecessary. Um, kind of Gaspar Noe's type mm. movies, love and stuff, which is, it's fine, but it's kind of, you, it's you, one thing masquerading as another, not really something that's kind of as- outrageous. But at this point, when you have someone like a Gaspar Noe, like... Is it outrageous if that's his brand? You know, if you're going into one of his movies, yeah. someone's getting sodomized. You know, it's not—it's not even like shock value anymore. You go in knowing that's going to happen, and you're basically subjecting yourself to it. Watching those movies is a form of self-harm. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, can it be outrage? Can it be truly outrageous when this a director has yeah. a reputation for this incredibly provocative aesthetic or, or storytelling style? I think. That, that, that's the question I want to ask is, 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 is there, in your recollection, either in the past or recently, something, a, fil- a film or television that, that you've gone and, and gone, oh, oh, I'm outraged by that. It's like, how, how could they make it or put it on television? I'm gonna, this is going to change the conversation up a bit. It's been in- highly highbrow and intellectual, but I find myself outraged by shows such as Love Island and Naked Attraction. The fact that they put that stuff on television, they forced people to date each other that's entertainment value and force people to strip naked to date each no, other. No, no, they're, they're, so... they're forcing people to pretend to date each other so that they can get, they can get a boohoo like, endorsement deal. Oh, so that outrages me, that the fact that that is on TV. I find that more shocking than a severe act of violence in a film or on TV. It's just the fact that that's what people have reduced themselves to watching these days. It's an interesting point. I'm not, quite, I'm not quite sure I'd say I was outraged by it because I'm more ambivalent towards it because I'm, yeah. I'm not interested. So it, does, it doesn't outrage me because I'm thinking, well, these people in the, in the kind of celebrity era that we're living, I don't think they're being particularly exploited because they must know going in how it's going to be presented. We've had enough years of Big Brother for people to realise if I'm going on a, on a reality TV show, the real me is not the one that's going to be seen on television. There's going to be the manipulated version that will that will get viewers to watch. So I find that more of an outrageous concept than seeing something horrible. Yeah, but that's a different kind of outrage. That's that's like it's it's not like shocking. It is sometimes. But you know what I mean, though. Yeah, it's it's not like shocking that like, you know you're not seeing like you know, someone get raped on Love Island, are you? No, but... I'm out, my, is, I'm out is, of my element. No, this is a case of your pop culture snobbery, uh, which is entirely valid. If it, you, I, I understand that you, there's, there is a... I understand... I, I'm not a fan of Love Island, I kind of, but I understand it's like very, very popular and a lot of people do like it, so that's fine, let them enjoy it. Um, but I don't think it's as exploitative of, some, of the people on it as a lot of reality shows are. I find it maybe if we're going to be talking about like what the thing that's shocking and outrageous to me about reality TV is people being exploited who don't know they're being exploited. Mm. So that's more more like people, you know, who go on like X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, 
who are forced to like you know fit into a really ugly stereotype or maybe have like their life story kind of completely taken away from them and you know someone like Susan Boyle who has learning difficulties and kind of gets put into this machine that then like that she you know gives her fame that she can't handle that makes me more uncomfortable than seeing a load of people in bikinis lying around a pool talking about like how they don't know what Brexit is I guess the point is that it, for me is that there's nothing I don't think there's anything truly shocking or outrageous that can be shown on TV these days which is really going to really going to impact people like, you're not going to see like a Mary Whitehouse style story in the newspaper these days about something shown on television however you're going to see outrage shock about reality stuff and that's I think when it comes to story like fictional storytelling there's nothing you know we're past the point where anything's new <laughs> So, I mean, can you think of anything that you've watched or, or seen um, on serial television that you think, oh, that genuinely shocked me or outraged There me? was one thing last year that it sort of, in a show, and I found it so offensive, I was like, I'm kind of shocked that you've got away with this. Um, and it was the OA on Netflix. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to just tell guys everyone what happens at the end. So, if you haven't seen the OA, well, A, don't. But if you want to watch it, maybe just cover your ears for the next minute. So, basically... Long story short, these guys like are part of this weird like suburban cult where they're worshiping Brit Marling as an angel, something, 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 and then like the denouement of this show is a school shooting, and it comes out of nowhere and it's used basically just as a plot device. This guy, they, they're just going about the day. This guy just like shows up at the cafeteria with a gun, and then like they all start using their mystical mumbo jumbo to try and stop him, and then. Brit Marling ends up getting shot by this guy and then they're like, oh, she like, she made it into the next dimension. And it's just like, what the actual hell do you think you're doing? Using like something as real as gun violence as a cheap plot point in your really, really badly written science fiction show. It was, that was offensive to me just because of how tone deaf it was. Not necessarily because it was incredibly like viscerally provocative. It was just like, Utterly disrespectful. That to- that totally went all over mine. But it, it leads it directly into. It, it's a great segue into what I was going to say about outrage. And I think has we have we switched where the outrage comes from? Because I'm thinking, television or uh, created dramas aren't. I don't find particularly outrageous. I find all of the outrage I have about what I watch on television comes from news or public affairs type stuff because I'm seeing things on on that that I'm. I'm outraged by in terms of like, how can this happen in what is supposed to be a 21st civilized society? And the fact that I'm seeing all of these things that shock me in reality, there's not really anything in, in a fantasy that that can can equal that. I think it's um, instead of saying something now is outrageous, we're like, oh, it, it's problematic. Mm. Um, and I think yeah, like I think TV, you know, like TV shows and films are kind of the escapism now because the world is just on fire all the time. And the outrage comes from, you know, learning that somebody like Harvey Weinstein got away with committing all these heinous crimes for the last 20 years of his career. And so it's, yeah, it's like we're more morally outraged now by the things that people are getting up to in real life. Um, And if we're outraged by something on a TV show, it's maybe because, like, that person in real life said something racist on their Twitter account. More than the actual content of the programme itself. Do you think our... The focus of our outrage is better placed now because we're not being outraged by something that's just a construct that's just kind of there to provoke. That we're actually being outraged by things that are um, real. Well, no, because I think, like, I think I still think that you know, fictional storytelling matters, and I think if there's something that you know, maybe if a, if a, something a, a writer or a director gets wrong, 
you know, like casting Scarlett Johansson as a trans man, for instance, which was, you know, in the news recently. It, well, I wouldn't say I'm outraged by it, but I rolled my eyes at it because I was like, well, that's just a really, again, a tone-deaf decision that shows how you're ignoring an entire community. And so it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's like, I'm not outraged, I'm just disappointed. So over the past week or so, we've uh, got our first real look at Jodie Whittaker's new 13th Doctor. So I thought, just to uh, entertain you for a few minutes here, I would dig out my big book of Doctor Who quiz questions. Can I ask you a question? You can certainly ask a question. I have a question for Keith Brilliant. Is that because this is the only quiz book you have in your your premises? Yes, it is the only quiz book I have. Um, And and it doesn't run up to uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctors, so this is just going to be about the 9th, 10th and 11th Doctors. So it's a bit further back. I don't know how many of you watched the Peter Capaldi ones, anyway. I mean, so, we we were probably old enough to remember. I don't think Callan Danes was, but wasn't around when when the Ninth Doctor was uh, first on telly. <laughs> yeah. It was a long time ago. Right? How old would he have been? What is he now? Twenty. Is he? So ten. <laughs> so he'd have had the toys. He'd have had a, a, a cigarette or a quillotine. He could have flown around his bedroom. What were those farting ones called? The Adipoise ones. Nah, they were like those ones. Oh, that... the Slytherin. Slivine. Slivine. Yeah. Slivine. 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 Yeah. Nailed this quiz. Yeah. Oh, still, it... They're still in the Houses of Parliament now, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think... <laughs> that's a bit of political humour. <laughs> <laughs> Slits it in there. Nice. Um, how are we scoring this? Um, yeah, we'll see how you get on. i got, I got a feeling that uh, it's we won't really need to worry too much about the scoring. Well, you want to bet you're trying to imply one of us is rubbish here? I'm not, I'm not saying, but i got a feeling somebody's going to nail this better than one of the others. Okay, so... Um, I'm an avid fan. Well, I'm going to start you then. Okay, if you're an avid fan, we'll start with you, Guy. You get the first question. You get two points if you get it right, but if I throw it over to another person, they get three. This is getting complicated. Okay, so if you if you get it wrong and the other person gets it right, they'll get more points than you for getting it right. What kind of rules is this? It's crazy, I'm just making it up as I go along. This so feels like an episode kind of, of shooting so stars. Right. Nepotism is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's my quiz, I can do what I like. Don't be so smug, Phil, you ain't got the question right yet. I feel like Greg Davis on Taskmaster. It doesn't matter what anybody else does, I'm just going to play the quiz the way I like. Okay, so I'm going to hit you with the first question, which is about the Ninth Doctor. In 900 years of time travel... What had never happened to the Doctor before he met Rose? Fallen in love. Uh, that is actually incorrect. So it could go to Phil. Um, um, uh, uh, oh. That's a great answer there. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had never met one of the most iconic pop stars of the early noughties. <laughs> that is a great answer. And uh, if, if, if I was giving points out for good answers, they would certainly go on. The, the official answer is that he'd never been slapped by somebody's mother. Oh, Camille Kajuri, icon. Which is a bizarre question to have in this book, but there you go. So the next one is, what does Captain Jack think the Doctor's name is when he first meets him? So John Barrowman. Steve McFadden. Um... Steve McFadden. It's not McFadden watch here, guy. <laughs> I, I, Keith. No, it's another popular science fiction. Alan Danes. Um, Spock. It was Mr. Spock. I don't remember that, actually. How many points do I get for that? Uh, yeah, you can just get one. Because it took you several attempts to do it, which is no good. I make comedy answers. I mean, you can always go right with a Callan Danes related answer. 
You can literally never go right with the kind dance answer. Now, this, this one is, is the Doctor had, uh, was healed of an, a specific injury by nanogenes in World War II London. I've suffered from this particular injury myself and wish that I could also have been healed by nanogenes. Oh, so this is more of a, a Keith Bloomfield knowledge question. I know, I know. Do you know? No, I'm going to take a punt. I don't know, so you, you go ahead. Is it a bruised coccyx? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. Genuinely can't say that I. I recall ever suffering from a burn. Uh, not burn. <laughs> I hope not. Wow. <laughs> no, because the actual answer was burnt fingers. Oh, it hurts, you know. And bruised coccyx. I've burnt fingers on many occasions, and it really hurts. It does. It really is quite painful. Um, so I wish I could have been healed from that. But uh, yeah. Not a bruised coccyx. Not a bruised coccyx. And certainly not a burnt one. Quite how you get a burnt one, I don't know. But please don't send me any. I was just uh, trying to sit down on this fire. <laughs> well, I did watch a very recent episode of Taskmaster where somebody was uh, made to sit down on a cake. That, oh that, wow! That's actually like a thing. Yeah, yes. there's a video. There's um, there's there's whole sort of uh, webcam uh, channels to, yeah. dedicated to you know sort of um, patisserie um, plopping. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the lovely Alex Horn was was requested to do it by Lisa Tarbuck. It was a sight to behold on television. Oh, she'll never forget it. <laughs> um, so we're going to switch on to the the tenth Doctor now because everybody watched that one. Nobody can remember. Oh, it's the tenth Doctor, that rubbish one. That was it, David. Uh, was it Tennant guy? Yeah, Apparently, he's Scottish. A bit rubbish he is. Um, so, okay, this is going to be Phil's question, but it's very easy. So, which? Part, oh, which, ouch! Okay. Which I sense a bit of favouritism going on here. Yeah, that's what quizzes are. They're just about favouritism. Um, which part of the Doctor was cut off by the Sycorax leader? His hand. His hand. Ah, now which hand? Ah. Uh, Right. Okay, that was right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say 50 yeah, 50. Yeah, yeah. I just guessed. Uh, but this one's even easier, and we're going to give this to Guy. What were the 10th Doctor's last words? Ugh. When it went again. It was almost like David Tennant was here in the room. Yeah, the acting yeah. jumped out. It was amazing. I thought, I'm really impressed by that guy. And it is in that, indeed actually correct. You are uh, a winner on that question. Thanks. Which is good. Um, but the next question's about drink, so I'm going to give it to Phil. Um, oh, okay. What drink does the Doctor claim to have in- invented a few centuries earlier? Oh, San Pellegrino. Uh, do I get an episode reference for this? Uh, no, because I, for one, I don't remember it. and um, uh, I don't even know what the drink is. I'm going to say a cheeky vimto. A cheeky vimto. Now, the actual answer, are you going to, have you got a, you've said San Pellegrino. I'm going to say San Pellegrino again. Please, please sponsor us. Um, the, the banana daiquiri. Oh, garbage. See, I've never had a daiquiri. It's a glass of sugar masquerading as a drink for grown-ups. Yeah. See, if you order a daiquiri, you're basic, and I don't want to be friends with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I've never... I know. What, what, what other daiquiris are there? Well, the, a typical daiquiri is strawberry. All right. And it's basically just, here's a glass of syrup. We're going to pretend that it's really boozy, but then you get diabetes and lose a foot. Okay, that sounds terrible. I'm going to avoid those. Uh, next question. Okay, the next question. Uh, according to the Doctor, what day does he never land on? Tuesday. Would be a good idea. But it's not the right answer. Christmas Day. Uh, we know that from the very first episode he appears in. He's on Christmas Day. Oh, yeah. So he can't be that one. Oh, yeah. 
You've only got six of the choices, guy. It's Lent. a day of the week. It's a day of the week. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a religious holiday. Because <laughs> in the question it says, "What day does he?" Know? Oh, I suppose. He, yeah, Father's Lent's Day. day. <laughs> no, I did Father's Day. Oh yeah. There was an episode of that. Just pick a day of the week. Ah, uh, month Sunday. And the, you are right. It is Sunday. <laughs> Plucked it out of the air there, and he got it. It's Lent, not days. a day. I think Lent's like 40 days. Right. I thought it was a day. No! Like, people say, oh, I'm celebrating Lent. Like, no, like... they give up stuff for Lent and then they celebrate Easter. Yeah, you have uh... like Easter Sunday. Right. And, you know, kind of Shrove Wednesday and things like that. Shrove okay. Tuesday. Yeah, Ash, Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. What's the East? What's the, what's, the, what's the Friday before? Good Easter? Friday. Good Friday. I thought there was just a, a day kicking around in that period called Lent. No, oh my god, that's no. There's forty of them, all called Lent. Yeah, right. See, this is this is one of the uh, things about Doctor Who is you learn things as well as uh, entertained by science people fiction. say I'm giving up stuff for Lent. Are you serious right now? <laughs> I don't pay much attention to it. I'm shook. <laughs> you learn something new every day. All, all, all. Well, uh, how do you do? Yeah. <laughs> All uh, all outrageous comments can be pointed directly to Guy Halford at, at Guy Halford on Twitter. I feel like I should be praised for learning still. Yeah, you should be. You, yeah, you've done some good book learning today. Guy. <coughs> um, okay, so we're going to move on to the eleventh Doctor. We well, you've only got like a few minutes left on okay, this. Okay, so I'll whip through these quickly. What does the Doctor call the TARDIS when they are alone? Sexy. Yes, Phil, you got it. That's a good answer because. Oh, what do I call Keith Bloomfield when we're alone? Keefy. And this applies to, to you guys as well and in terms of what you shouldn't do. What is the Doctor's number one rule? Um, don't walk places? I don't know. You're I don't, I don't know where that went. Right. Almost there. Stop, don't, run in, don't run around the pool. No, it's don't wander off. Okay. Oh. You see, which should apply to you as well, Guy, because you're always wandering off. Apparently it should apply around. to you when you go to conventions, from what I've heard from Ryan. What? <laughs> I go exploring. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. Okay. Um, so, this one, I'll make this your last question then, so this is our last one. What does the Doctor think is the only mystery worth solving? Like Callan Danes is on this radio show. Is it like the mystery of love or something? Mm, not quite. Or is it something really, really sexist that Stephen Moffat would have written? Like, what women? <laughs> what do women really want? Well, you're kind of almost there with that. If you combine both of those answers into one person that appeared in the show. Oh, River Song. No, Amy Pond, The Impossible Girl. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He thinks the only mystery worth solving is Clara. God, yeah. good riddance. Because a woman can't just be a woman; she has to just she has to be a plot device. So, based on those questions that we had in there, uh, I'm really looking forward to Jodie Whittaker now and taking us through to an excellent few seasons of Doctor Who. And let's hope that she doesn't talk in absolute nonsense aphorisms and make sense. Yeah, telling people not to wander off and thinking the only thing worth solving, the only mystery worth solving. How do you solve a problem like Clara? Yeah. <laughs> is she gonna, is her, her, the only mystery worth her solving is Bradley Walsh. What? No, I won't hear it. I won't hear it. Bad word against bradders. <gasps> oh my god, can you imagine if the doctor appeared on the chase? 
I mean, that's an episode in the making, right? I, well, they did have an episode about The Weakest Link. Didn't they have like an Anne Robinson bot like when it first came out? In, yeah, they on on the uh, space station. They had that. Them. I mean, that dates it, doesn't it? Yeah. And what was the the, the bloke in charge was Simon Pegg. Back when he was still doing TV. When he was still doing TV, yeah. yeah. But I'm looking forward to seeing Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. So September, October can't come soon enough. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Geeky Brummy podcast. As usual, you can find Geeky Brummy all over the internet at www.geekybrummy.com, on Twitter at Geeky Brummy and on Instagram and all the other social media platforms that you'd like to go and uh, spend your time on. Although we're probably not on Snapchat yet. I mean, Snap's over. It's all about the Instagram. Yeah. We're yeah. so cool we're not on Snap. We never were. Um, but yeah, go out there and our YouTube channel. There should be a few new videos popping up there. Um, so just search Geeky Brummy around the internet and follow, subscribe, like and all that other stuff. And where can we find you, Mr. Guest Host? You can find me. Uh, at guesthosts.co.uk <laughs> um, available for all the bookings bar mitzvahs weddings and uh, birthday parties can I book you? Uh, no I might have to put my fees up can I book uh, you just for a night's entertainment in my living room? that would down that would not you wouldn't be able to how it. much would that cost me? that would cost you more than you could earn in your lifetime <laughs> 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 um, do you want to go halves? <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, if needs, if you know, if I need to at some point, I'll just keep it on the back burner. So, you know. Mates rates. Yeah. If you ever fall that far in life, <laughs> I, I'm just going to put you out your misery. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you can find me um, mooching about on Twitter at hardluck underscore hotel without the underscores on Instagram. And um, that's probably pretty much it for me. Go and have a look at my Instagram stuff. There's some really okay photographs there. No, I don't sell lipstick, um, so you'll be okay. Um, so yeah, you can find me on those things. So where can we find yourself, Phil? You can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, Ellis with two. Look for the fine-ass ginger guy with the blue tick. <laughs> yes, definitely. And make sure you are following that because he often posts links up to where his uh, current writings are. Uh, so it's an easy way of finding those stories. Oh, I don't want to polish his ego <laughs> anymore. Look at him gleaming right now. <gasps> oh, he likes me. No, well, you, you know... I, I don't mind supporting people that do good stuff. So someone, someone's got to promote him, right? <laughs> someone other than me. <laughs> I don't feel that Phil particularly needs me to endorse his stuff. I think he does well enough on his own by doing good work. In uh, and where can we find you, Mister Halford Nobtriddler? Uh, you can find me. Uh, just look for the picture of the concrete on the ground. Um, you can find me, Vinyl Guy H, Instagram. You can't find me anywhere else. Don't follow me. I don't yes. want to be followed. Uh, but you can look at all the pictures of my records because that's me in a nutshell. All the all the hundreds of pounds I spend on Eddie Grant records. Yeah, and if you see anybody arguing with the staff at the self service in the, your local supermarket, that's probably Guy as well. <laughs> Being angry about people queuing up for coffee in Greg's. It's been a while since you've done that. Uh, I don't go to Greg's anymore. You can find Ryan and Callan on social media. Just like look at our profiles and link to them. Yeah, definitely go and seek out Ryan, and definitely go and seek out his uh, Brummy Gourmand. Uh, <laughs> definitely profile. seek out Ryan. Callan. Maybe give it a miss. <laughs> he's, he's, having, he's having a he's having a what's it student summer in here, just <laughs> around Eastbourne or wherever. Is he's he's Eastbourne and down in he? I don't know if that's where he comes from. He comes from somewhere that ain't got many good. It's somewhere in the south, somewhere where there's water water. and he feels safe. Yeah, it sounds like Eastbourne. Send us a postcard, Callan. Wherever you are, send us a postcard. We'd like to see it. 
I don't know if he knows how to write. Uh, we can do one of those online ones where we can take a picture and send it. You can get apps for it. You, you send yeah, but you've seen you've seen the random selfies that he sends us occasionally in the group chat. It'll just be a weird looking selfie of himself on a pit on a digital picture. I don't feel I need that coming my my way. I quite like the idea of him standing on the edge of a pier with um, some glasses <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> with no, glasses. <laughs> oh wow! Here's me, a teacher at the seaside. Uh, oh, I think I think that's as good a time as any to wrap things up. Yes. So thanks again for listening and tune in next time. And that's us, Geeky Brummy, saying goodbye. 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 Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you'd like to join our listener supporters, please join us at patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio.